Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast and Aston Villa podcast. I'm James Rushton, joined once again by Cole Petham and Danny Raza. We're back after the international break. Um, last time out, I was going to say we drew against Crystal Palace, but that's not strictly true because the goal was tore away from us at the last second. We lost to Crystal Palace and we uh, entered the international break on the back of a loss. But now we begin afresh with a draw against West Ham. Danny, I want to know how you're feeling after that short break. Good evening, lads. How's it going? Um, how am I feeling? After was that a Unai Emery impression? It, it, it wasn't. I said it with a V. If it was a Unai Emery impression, <laughs> I always said, could he be? <laughs> Fair play. But yeah, man, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I mean, like I've had some time to cool down after the game yesterday, and I, I still don't really feel any different to after we finished, if I'm totally honest. Um, again, it's let's let's give Daniel Raza the, uh, you know, uh, let's let's give him the stick for for being negative, um, but you know I'm you're not, I'm, that, I'm just you're not a, that popular, mate. Don't worry. I'm not. I'm not that popular. I'm not that popular. To 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 the two people that tweeted me, um, this is this is, this is to my two online haters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this is to to my two online haters. Um, no, but uh, you know, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I mean, I think after what happened against Crystal Palace, I'm just ever so slightly worried that we're falling back into unlucky Villa. You know, uh, should have won the game, but you know, uh, a couple of things didn't really go our way. Uh, we, we we didn't finish off the chances we had. Oh well, we played well. Unlucky Villa. This was something that is that that always grinded my gears as a, as a Villa fan, and it's that seems to have returned just a little bit. And I'm ever so slightly worried because we're not finishing chances, and uh, we, I mean, ultimately just didn't capitalize on beating a. 10-man West Ham team. Now, give me all the arguments you want about West Ham being a top side with brilliant players and that we haven't fought or we haven't faced a relegation uh, rival yet, whatever you want to say. The reality is we played 25, 30 minutes against a 10-man team and couldn't convert a chance. That is not good enough, simply. Cole Petham, I hope you're feeling a much more optimistic. Good evening. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd do it at least. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, uh, <laughs> I wish I didn't do that now. But anyways, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I felt kind of annoyed by it yesterday. I feel a little bit better. Like, I mean, you look at the Palace one, it was unlucky. Should we have done better last night? Absolutely. You could also say that we should have around seven points right now which if you would have told us that at the start of the year, we'd easily have taken. I still honestly would take four points right now because I think we're going to finish right above the relegation zone. It's just ultimately, I think, how it's going to go. Looking at last night, after we after Masuaku went off, which, by the way, we talked about this before. If you haven't seen him say shed heads in the other word, I don't know if I can swear or not. Go and see that on Instagram. It's hilarious. Uh, Danny absolutely loves it. Um, <laughs> after he got sent off, we should have scored. Absolutely. But at the same time, it looked like everyone lost their heads and was dead tired. Were the changes good enough? Was the timing good enough? I don't think so. I would have liked to see something different happen in the midfield. But I'm feeling more positive. I don't think it's still too early. Like Things are going to mend. Um, obviously, Wesley needs massive improvement in some areas. And yeah, I don't know. I feel all right about it. Well, guys, before we jump into a, a deeper critique of the West Ham game, I wanted to talk about Aston Villa's newly unveiled third kit, kit in a cooperation with Kappa. Um, have you guys seen it? The green and black one? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah the Ninja Turtle kit. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good way to describe <laughs> me. I, like I do like the third kit, guys. Um, if you haven't seen it, go see. It's gonna be divisive. It's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea, but I'm really here for it. So they unveiled it by revealing it uh, with with having yeah, like Legends that. model the kit. So Tony Daly's on it. Gary Shaw, uh, not Gary Shaw, sorry, uh, Gordon Cowens. And I believe the other one was Sean Teal. So these Kappa kits, again, look like, and I'm uh, Tony Daly is shredded, right? It looks great on him, right? But these ca- these Kappa kits kind of look like, again, they're just a bit, mm, I don't know. They're not, they're not really made for fashion. They're made for performance, if you get, if you get what I'm hinting at you. Yeah, it would be a football shirt, though. Made made for performance. Am I? Am I it's a Kappa. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I think it's a Kappa thing, isn't it? It is a Kappa thing. I like Kappa. I like all the kits. I think they're great. But you just see what Nike have done with their third yeah. kits and how it harkens back to that kind of late eighties, early nineties badge, the one that resurfaced towards the end of the nineties with the Nike lettering um, on top in bold font on top of the swoosh. And those kits really, really stand out, and they look so nice. And I think. I'm not sure what I think. I I really like the design, but I don't know if I'm going to like seeing it on our players, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Oh, I think it'll look good on pitch. I I think it will. I think it's just, I I mean, I like like the way they've, so the badge is red. Right with the green outline, it basically um, imagine imagine the badge is see through and it and it kind of goes into the the green outline, which is the shirt is green. I think I feel like we should we should mention what this <laughs> what this looks like. This is an audio this is an audio product, James. Um, it's a green kit effectively with black sleeves and red highlights and almost a black mosaic pattern all the way down it. Um, but yet again, I think the only weird thing is that massive red logo. I think it will look good on the pitch apart from that. Well, these black lines that are kind of shredding through the shirt, I should mention that they are designed on the interior of the whole end. So, Cole, I wanted to know your thoughts on this shirt. I like it. Like, as a North American fan, um, I'm scared to buy Kappa myself. It's easier for you guys. You guys could go to them in the store or somewhere more local, maybe try a few on to see what size. But... Um, I've seen a few North American people buy them and it, the luck doesn't look good. You see the reviews on the Kappa shirts and they're falling apart after one wash. Like I've literally had, I, when Nike was still representing Villa, um, I had one, one of the checkered shirts or kits and like that thing has went through the wash like a million times and still looks brand new. It's just, I don't know. It just looks really cheap. So that, like, I won't buy one this year because of that, but no, this kit looks great um i like it something different um nice to see something different and like honestly what looks better than a 90 minute winner from jack Grealish in that green kit against manchester city come on yeah because it is debuting on the 26th of october so that's when the players will be wearing it there's a definite date for us wearing it on the 26th of october against manchester city away when we lose six <laughs> yeah. yeah it's never seen again <laughs> Um, I don't know. I was going to say then, I was going to lead into it saying hopefully it fares better than that kind of purple night sky kit of last season, the third kit. But we had a good memory in that top against Rotherham. So I don't know. But I guess the, the proof of the pudding is if fashion icon Danny Raz is copying it. Are you, mate? I'll buy one if it's in long sleeve. That's It's not going to be in long sleeve. They don't do long sleeve shirts anymore, do they? Well, this is the thing like, then, man. I've, I've... Like, I'm, 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 I'm a slightly sort of like rounder guy, right? I'm not. I'm not fat. I'm not chubby. 
Oh, I'm a little bit chubby. <laughs> Kappa's not going to suit me, man. Like that's that's the th- that that is that is the that is the fact of the matter with with Kappa. It's 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 better if you're muscular. It's better if you're it's better if you're slimmer. And that's probably why I won't get one. I just don't think that I'm going to be able to wear it right. Um, I mean, if they, if they if they if they make that baggy version like they did for the for the home kit, I might I might get that. Um, but I'll have to wait and yeah, see. They, they will because they've they've got like the fan fit, shall we say, or the cheap version, um, whatever you want to call it, the normal regular size shirt. They do that on the away one, so I don't see why they wouldn't because they wouldn't sell as many kits. If that makes sense. Like, surely yeah, you have 100%. to. If if they fix the sizing though, like that'd be that'd be half the battle one for Kappa in my opinion, because like. I'm usually a small medium and I guarantee I'm probably at least a large and like I'm a toothpick. So like <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard, but it seems like a lot of people, like you'll have like people in mediums going to like extra large, like that's crazy. Yeah. From my experience, you are going to, if you can get the regular fit, you need to size up. If don't even get started, if you're a kid, because you just got to try it on, don't even guess. Um, but if you're fitting adult sizes, the men's adult sizes, the normal fit is going to be a size up. So if you're a medium, it's a large. If you're a small, it's a medium. If you're large, it's an XL. If you get the pro version, which is the tight-fitted performance material, you're going to have to go up two sizes at the very least because it is, it's not uncomfortably tight if you go one size up, um, but the normal size you get is not going to fit you, basically. You have to be shredded. Even then, it's going to be small on you. Whatever your body shape, you're going to have to size up at least twice, well, at least once, if not twice. And that pro version, the elite fit, as it's called, the eighty-pound version, I think it retails for. God. So the more expensive one, basically, the more money you spend, the higher you have to go on the fit. That's crazy. I, I would genuinely like, like recommend going to the club store if you could go two sizes up if you go in elite because you're gonna regret it if you don't. Basically, it is a tight shirt. It's there for a reason. Um, you can get the players' kit. I think it's fine. You just got to have common sense and try it on. If you can't, that's a shame. But that's what we're here to do is inform you. I'm getting the third kit and I think a lot of people are. And there's something, it's not even in the middle, is it? The opinion, it's like you like it or you hate it. Like no one's like, uh, yeah, I'm unsure. They're like, fucking no way, okay. no chance. But yeah, I guess that's, uh, I guess that's kits for I you. think if it's priced reasonably, then I'll do well, I think, essentially. Um, Weird I time think, to come out to. Like really weird. Yeah, we time. always release everything late, though, don't we? Yeah, I know, but like, so like this far into the like, it's not that far into the season, but like, I don't know. It seems like everyone else's third kit came out like on the first on the first match week. <laughs> I don't. Well, know. to be fair, like two of the best uh, two of the best third kits that have that have been released this season. Um, and I know I'm I'm going outside of I'm going outside of of, of England here, but like Barcelona's and, and Inter's both came out in the last couple of weeks, didn't they? Oh, I didn't even know that. So. Yeah, Barcelona's is wicked, as James was saying. It's got that, it's that, it's got that kind of mosaic in the background, if you know what I mean. You know, that's sort of like imprinted, embedded into the material. Like, uh, it's kind of like it's blue, but um, you can just kind of see a light sort of pattern in the background. That's what made '90s kids sort of. That's what personified them in a way. Um, that's what Barca have done. So yeah. But anyway, let's move on to West Ham, guys. Um, the big match, uh, not much happened in it. It was a nil-nil. Um, the biggest event was a clash between Tyra Mings and an Al Ghazi, which has been framed. I mean, I woke up this morning, turned on the radio, not even TalkSport. I think it was Virgin Radio. And they played like clips of the commentary acting like 
Al Ghazi had headbutted Tyron Mings. And if you just have the still <laughs> image and someone calls it a headbutt, you're going to be like, oh my God, an Aston Villa player's headbutted another Aston Villa player. And guys, that simply wasn't the case, Cole. I, I never had any feeling that Al Ghazi headbutted Tyron Mings. He squared up to him. He was wrong and he squared up to him angrily. It wasn't a fight. Everyone's making out to be a violent clash and it it wasn't that. I didn't get that feeling anyway, Cole. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like, fair enough, tell Gazi, you have some cojones on you to do that to Mings. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, if you've ever seen the meme, I don't know, it came out last night where uh, it was like, oh, well, Grealish was talking about it. It was like, oh, they had a discussion. Um, Onwar was just uh, upset because Mings uh, ruined the ending of Harry Potter for him or something like that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> if you saw that meme, it's really good. I'm full of memes today, by the way, guys, so enjoy. But no... It, like that's something I've been crying out for. Like that's real passion. Like, like I've never played professional sports. I'm I'm assuming none of us have, obviously. But like, it, it's like it even happens in recreational sports. And some people are just passionate about it. I want to see that. Like, I'd rather that than I think you tweeted it, James, about Julian Lescott. Like, where he's just gonna give maybe someone a little bit of stick and no one's gonna react. I want to see reactions. I want to see passion. Like. Honestly, when's the last time we've seen a group of players truly fight for the shirt? And arguments like that, in my opinion, if you're strong-willed um, and on an even kill for most of the time, like that's more than welcome. So, yeah, that that was my general thought is I'm happy for Al Ghazi to be mad and wrong because I'd rather he be mad and wrong and be passionate about what he's doing than doing the same mistakes over and over again. It's like Yannick Balassi last season, fantastic player, but when he's not tracking back and when he's knocking balls out, out, out of touch and someone shouts at him, he puts his hand up and doesn't confront anyone. And then he does a mistake again. I'd rather Al Ghazi get angry, realise he's wrong, and then start tracking back. I don't know if you feel any different, Danny. Uh, I, I think from the referee's point of view, though, you're, you're seeing two players physically make contact and it's face-to-face, it's head-to-head, and it is something which could be seen as violent conduct. Now, I think VAR, obviously, you can look at that now and kind of, I know, which it did, it went to VAR and, and check that it wasn't too violent. And, and I tend to be, I tend to be in your school of thought. It just seemed like passion more than anything. And it didn't really look incredibly dangerous. But, uh, you know, this it's down to interpretation. A lot of people saw that and a lot of people are seeing it today. I say, uh, you know, uh, the day after the game, um, and uh, thinking, you know, this is this is pretty bad. It shouldn't. No, no players should be should be doing that to each other. They shouldn't be making physical contact with each other. So I'm just saying, from the point of the referee and from the point of opposition fans, that's bad. From my perspective, I feel that if Mike Dean, the referee on the day, was to show a red card to Amar Al Ghazi or even a yellow for the quote unquote clash, I think that says so much more about the referee and his ego and his one want to influence the game rather than anything else. Like, why are you going to book two players for having a physical disagreement? People are comparing this to Kieran Dyer and Lee Boyer. Um, I suggest you watch footage of that because that is a violent clash. That's some throwing fists. Yeah, this is not that. They were throwing fists, not just once. It was two or three times. And they were trying to get at each other after being separated. Cole, I don't know if I'm going down the right path here, am I? Oh, I just wanted to make a side comment. Did you guys see people saying, like, El Ghazi should be sent off? Can you be sent off for, like, having a go at your own teammate? Yeah. Really? You, oh, yeah, you can't know that. You, yeah. Like, 
that goes back to the Boya and Kieran Dyer thing. And this was 2003 or 2005. Um, this is two players who were trying to hit each other a number of times and had to be separated by an Aston Villa player. And Boya and Dyer were playing for Newcastle and Gareth Barry had to step in between them like to stop them fighting because they were trying to take each other's heads off. And they were fr- they throw two or three punches in three separate instances um, within a 10-second period. This isn't that. This isn't violent conduct. This is a place, even if Al Ghazi touched him with his head, it's not violent conduct because it wasn't meant violently. This was a guy trying to make his point. And this was a guy sick of a player, another player getting in his ear. And that's fine. Like, if he's not happy with something, go and tell him. I'd rather he do that than simply meekly accepting instructions because we see the end result of that. When wingers aren't doing their job, wingers never do their job. Let's get that straight out of the way. Wingers never trap back. Like You have to be the amongst the elite to do your job perfectly on the wing. And what, oh God, he isn't among the elite. He's not going to trap back. He's going he's gonna to get distracted. He's going to run a mock. He's going he's gonna to be gassed and running up halfway up the pitch and unable to trap back. This is what's going to happen to players like Amwal Algarzi. If he's getting an earful and he doesn't feel it's right, He's going to have his say. Fair play to him. Just so, just for clarity, um, disciplinary action um, from the FA is quoted as saying, if, if you look at their official website, a player or team officially commits a cautionable or sending off offence, either on or off the field of play, against an opponent, a teammate, a match official, or any other person, uh, or, uh, or the laws of the game is disciplined according to the offence. So the thing is, uh, violent conduct violent conduct counts wh- wherever it is in the game basically yeah it, it doesn't matter if it's against the opponent it doesn't matter if it's against your teammate violent conduct is uh, the referee is allowed to caution for that but yeah i think as you say james look it's just two players getting angry at each other within their own team they didn't take it too far yeah ogazi ogazi put his face in, in into ming's face he's saying back off what you know what are you, what are you what are you talking about i'm doing my job and ming's holds his ground he doesn't strike back you know, they don't end up doing anything after that. And I think, again, this this all comes down to um, how you interpret it. And if you've ever been in the heat of a battle before, if you've ever, if you've ever played football before, you know it gets heated. Um, I think the way that this is being made out to be some sort of major fight is just like, uh, you're just trying to make something out of a nil-nil, aren't you really, lads? Yeah, uh, from my interpretation of it, I feel... Like my day has been went horribly because I have to listen to people trying to tell me about the players who play for a team I support being violent to each other, like they were there watching it or understand any context. I think what's been left out, guys, is that this was a three to four second thing that eventually ended in a handshake that what didn't even like take place until half time. It took place thirty seconds after, like they solved it there and then and then resolved it once more at half time a lot of people are ignoring that this flare up ended just as quickly as it began and the still images look bad like it looks like our guys is leaning in to hit a play if you're going to frame it with copy as a headbutt it's going to look like a headbutt it's going to be sold as a headbutt yeah no i totally agree like what i was just thinking i wanted to say is that like people are just making a story for the sake of it it's just lazy i wouldn't say it's lazy journalism but it's just an easy talking point something that can be blown way out of proportion and that's essentially what it is it happens all the time like it probably happens every game in some manner but we just don't see it as fans all the time so when it does happen we're looking at it going oh my god this is the next big fallout since obviously said the dire situation years and years ago 
it's nothing of the sort. Like, and the thing that drives me nuts is you have some of our own fans that have an issue with it. Like, like what's the issue? Like genuinely, what is it? Because would you rather have players not communicating, not showing that passion, not really getting into it and stuck in like, or like, I don't know. It, it just boggles my mind that even our own fans have an issue with it. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, quick final thing, though, like, with, with Anwar, is that we something similar happened back in 2016, didn't it? When he was at Ajax with Peter Boats, his manager. There was a, there was a flare-up. There was a training, there was a training room, there was a training session bust-up at the time, wasn't there, that, that ended up basically um, changing his, his, his time, basically, at, at Ajax. He didn't really play much. Uh, after that, I don't know if he played at all after that. Um, and and we have seen his sort of attitude, and we've seen, I mean, we've seen his attitude change uh, after he's been dropped before, where he you're kind of suddenly become twice the player. Um, I mean, is, is there a concern of a, of an attitude problem, or is this just a is this just a young player who's 24 and perhaps just hasn't built that consistency yet and is and is just learning what the Premier League's all about. I think that's that's the question. It's it's always going to be difficult. Isn't so it? Greg Evans reported on this in a quite deep article actually uh, on the Athletic. Um if you've got access you should definitely read it because it's really quite enlightening. Good read. Yeah, really good read. Um so Al Ghazi blew up against Ajax and he's people in his kind of circle, like the footballers that know him, the Villa players that know him. Um, sources within the clubs that he's played at say that this is a guy who is very quiet, very polite, very nice, but one that will just not take any rubbish from anyone. Like if he feels wronged, he isn't just going to accept that. And that's fine. That's not an attitude problem. That's sticking up for yourself. But that is absolutely what I want from a player. And furthermore, in the article, it says that some of the Villa players in the dressing room appreciated the fact that Al Ghazi went up to Ming's Oh, this, that's not saying there's a fracture in the dressing room. That's just saying they like that there's a guy, there's a warrior you know, at the wing that's going to stand up for himself and stand up for the team. Like, not, let's not forget seconds later, but moments later, like he goes up for a ball he has no right to get against a goalkeeper and gets absolutely cleared out for it. This is a guy who isn't just fighting with words. He's fighting with his body as well. Not everything's a knockout. Yeah, not everything he does is right or works right. Not everything he does is the best thing ever, but he tries, he's given a hundred percent. Some of the things come off. Some of the things don't, that's, that's life on the wing for you. If you're not elite talent at the wing, not everything's going to come off for you. I'm perfectly happy with the way he's played and the way he's displayed himself. Things could be going better, but that's true for a lot of Villa players. Look, the, the other thing is, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about the way that we've, that we've played so far this season. Not an awful lot anyway. Um, there, there are positives, but, one of the things you have to talk about is the fight and the passion. And I think that we may well have lost the game against West Ham if we didn't have that kind of fight. Likewise, against Everton, we may not have been able to get the win if we if we didn't have that kind of fight and passion of the team. These guys, you know, they, they worked hard to get up. You know, they, they worked hard to get promoted. And they don't want that to uh, to, to go to waste. And, and you can see that. And you can see that, that there's a real sort of togetherness. And if there's something you have to give Dean Smith and it's something you have to give the Villa team at the moment. It is serious sort of passion and desire. And that's, that's all this is. This is just that spilling out a little bit. And if it's going to spill out, let it spill out on the pitch. Just don't get yourself sent off. Yeah, Cole, I think we're going to move on now. And I want to hear, hear from you on uh, the, our defense, mate, because our defense, our defense, I'm feeling really, really impressed by you. I think you maybe came away from Everton thinking, oh, we got lucky there. 
Um, but they replicated against West Ham. They stopped a really good front line. They stopped the West Ham's forward line. They went toe-to-toe. They didn't take any rubbish off them. There is fight here, and I think that is emboldened and uh, personified, perhaps, by our, our defence. Oh, 100%. I'm going to follow in Danny's footsteps here and say I have a whole man crush on the defence, um, not just one player. But uh, it's just like, uh, when's the last time we had this? Dude, don't be greedy. <laughs> when's the last time we had this solid of a defense? Like, really, like just the communication, the effort, the amount of blocks we're having, the way uh, Tom Heen commands his own goal. Um, just everything seems to be um, clicking. It might not be all over the pitch, but at least back there where it truly matters, we are, and it's showing. We have two clean sheets, and you know what? Those are the games we're getting points from, so that's also good to see. Um I don't know how much more highly I could speak of them. I'm just, I, I don't know. I wasn't thinking we we're going to be this solid at the back. But if you look at it, you look at things like goal difference, it's going to matter. No matter if we can't score a bazillion goals. Um, if we're keeping clean sheets, it's going to keep us in the conversation. Yeah, I can't remember Heaton having to make any desperate save at all. I think the only save I can really remember him having to make was from a header from Neil Taylor and that's because he could trust in someone like Heaton to to grab the ball from such a, a close range like such a you know such a almost experimental header that he tried backwards it was like a diving header at his own goal um so I'm generally impressed by the defense I can't really remember a time as you said Cole when we were kind of known for good defensive play and defensive play doesn't mean boring it means the fact that we can trust our players to block shots we can allow the other team to have chances. We can allow the other team to waste chances because we've got Bjorn Engels, Tyrone Mings and Tom Heaton. And mm. one of those blokes, Heaton, had nothing to do. It was all Engels, Mings and uh, Will Bear. Will Bear loses the ball, but you know he's going to trap back and get it. So we can trust a lot in our defence and hopefully start pushing forward now, Danny. Will Bear's brilliant, man. Oh, man. I, I, I love watching him play right back. As I, I loved El Mohamedy, but... um. <laughs> I've seen Gilbert now, and you know when you get when you when you when you get a sight of a good thing, you you know you 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 want that to stay. Um, I'm 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 really I'm really enjoying the, the fact that he's able to kind of push forward, and at the same time, as you say, he, he always tracks back, and he just looks he just looks solid there. I don't ever remember feeling so confident about our fullbacks. Neil Taylor as well, absolutely fair play to him. He's been he's been fantastic since the season started. Matty Target can't get a look in. Um, Angles and Mings, as you say, just brilliant. And I, th- I remember, I remember a couple of people on Twitter just talking about. And I, I, I remember, like after the criticisms I made about about a forward line, somebody somebody made a very fair point and said, "Yeah, but what about Sebastian Haller? Wesley play Wesley looked more dangerous than than than, than West Ham's striker that they spent so much more money on." Um, if, if I've forgotten you, who 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 that was, I'm sorry, but yeah, this it's it's true. It's because the defense just made made Sebastian Haller the I think forty million pound signing or whatever he was look non-existent. I remember one so- shot that he made, which kind of had a bit of an awkward bobble that Tom Heaton kind of just had to stay in his position to to, to keep. But other than that, they just they just made West Ham look. Yeah, just they, they just made them look weak. I think going forward, I think there's only maybe one team that's kept a clean sheet against West Ham and it was Man City. So this is a team that will score goals. It's a good team. It's a good front line, an exceptional front line. So I'm I'm emboldened by that. The midfield set up for it, James. They're set up for it. Look, I mean, apart from apart from the fact they've got Declan Rice, who sits as uh, as deep as a whale, man. Like there's you've got you've got 
Mark Noble, who does push forward ever so slightly, but then the rest of the midfielders, Yarmolenko, Lanzini, and I can't remember who the left winger was. Help me out. Felipe Anderson. Felipe Anderson. And those three are pushing forward, or at least they're trying to. I mean, this, that's an attacking attacking way to, to play football. Well, Cole, I felt most threatened, really, by Royce and Noble. And that's saying something. Yeah, really. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Noble, but he just drives me insane. I'm sure like West Ham fans absolutely love him. Like it's obvious they do, but oh my God, he just gets under my skin. Um, I think when you look at a kind of the in-play perspective of the game, those were the two players that honestly caused us the most amount of issues. Um, and those are two players you would argue might sit back more than others. Um, no, they're sturdy where they are. They're going to move the ball around well and they fight to the very end. And that's something I think when we look at our own midfield, I think we had some issues there with that. Um, I don't, it almost makes me wonder, like, I actually, I want to know right now, I'm going to bring up, I was going to wait for later. what do you guys think of Nakamba? Uh, my opinions were kind of back and forth a little bit. I know it's his first game, but James, what's your thought, your thoughts, first of all? I really enjoyed him. I think with our defensive midfield position, we've got three players, really. Who, they're kind of the same template, but they've all got these special abilities Like you can bring in. For example, Conor Harahan and that left foot. You've got that, and they've all got these their little quirks about them. But what I like from the camber is how fast that ball springs off his feet. Like He already knows where the ball's going as soon as he receives it, and he starts moving again. He adds a lot of movement to this defence, and I, about the defensive midfield. And the way I felt about that, I felt so embodied. I felt so like almost energized. I guess it's the word I'm looking for. I felt like the camera really brought some energy and movement to this midfield. It's, it's, sometimes it's lacking because that holding midfielder will sit and hold, and the camber seemed almost willing to help that midfield actually move forward as a unit. Which is, I don't know if we've seen that much this season. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought Nakamba was. I thought Nakamba was very good. At least certainly, certainly for the first sixty minutes or so until um, <laughs> until West Ham had a man sent off. Um, I think you're right. The way the ball sprays off his foot, it looks almost effortless, and he's and and he and he's moving. He's he's constantly moving. It's not. It's not like he's. It's not like he's running around the pitch like a like a Kante, right? It's it's almost like he, he's 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 judging his position incredibly well. He's an intelligent footballer, um, and 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 I think he was the right guy to play in that midfield honestly against West Ham I thought that uh, I think later on during the game when the decision was made to take him off and bring on Douglas Louise I think what Smith probably should have done is brought on Howrahan or Lansbury um, and uh, not necessarily uh, like for like brought on Nakamba I, I think you're right the 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 energy that he provided was certainly something interesting I think that defensive midfield role now is honestly going to be between Louise and and Nakamba um, if I'm totally honest, uh, as much as I like Howrahan, I think Premier League wise, I think defensive midfielders, um, we've got Louise and Nakamba there. They're, those are our two holding guys. That was what I was wondering yesterday when we did the swap and Louise came on. I was kind of wondering if her hand might have done a little bit better there. Um, maybe if it was to take Grealish or McGinn off instead. I thought maybe he would have added something. Obviously, he makes a great ball. His his passes are typically on point and you know he does love a good strike from time to time so I'm, I was kind of thinking when they're down to 10 men would it not be better for us to bring on her hand like Louise is also attacking in his own way and maybe offers a little bit more going forward than Nakamba but I think that was the main question I was wondering yesterday I thought he would have done better you look at it we had Lansbury, Horahan, and uh, Louise on the bench yesterday it kind of 
almost made me think we were going to switch formations at some point. Um, but then again, we didn't. So <laughs> it kind of made us have the result we had. Uh, Danny, how do you feel about that? I was very upset with the with the the, the changes that, that Dean Smith made. I, I thought that we had the opportunity really to, to, to win the game. And uh, there was one guy on the bench there that's effectively already made a difference since coming on the pitch and has proven that he's a strong substitute who can who can push the team on. And that's Henry Lansbury. He scored a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was disallowed, but he, he scored a couple of weeks ago. Perhaps bringing him on instead of instead of Douglas Louise and perhaps being, you know, not being so scared to take off Grealish or or McGinn, perhaps that would have been the that would have been the way to go. Uh, taking off one defensive midfielder for another, I don't, I don't think was a good idea. And you know, you, you, you add to that the fact that you look at that bench and there's one attacking option. There's Keenan Davis, and that's it, really. Um, El Mohamedi going out wide. Uh, he's, he's not really an attacking winger. I, I, I really think that we should have, we should have, you know, at that point in the game, we should have, we should have brought on one of the guys who knows how to score. Who Harahan's hungry. He's always hungry. He he scored so many goals for us last season, despite not being you know first choice ahead of Grealish and McGinn. Uh, and 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 uh, somebody with that kind of passion, he's always looking for the net. It's the same with Lansbury. Two hungry midfielders. As 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 much as I like Douglas Louise, uh, he's 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 not going to bring the same kind of energy as those guys coming off the bench. Yeah, I think it's a difficult conversation to have with the midfield because if you want to introduce Lansbury in Harahan. Um, whether it's for pragmatic or emotive reasons, like you're going to have to drop Grealish and McGinn. Like if you want to introduce them both to the team, a star player has to go because there's only one specific position that they can fill, and that's defensive midfield. And two players are making a name for himself there. That's Louise and Nakamba. So it's always going to be quite a difficult conversation. I'm just grateful that we've got the depth to be even having this conversation where all of these talented players can fill in. But no, um, West Ham nil, Aston Villa nil. Not a great deal of chances to speak about, but we have to speak about the few that Wesley spurned. I think he had two really good heading chances in the face of goal that he wasn't able to score. But one good chance that Cole brought up actually before in the pre-record as we were speaking was when the ball went between his legs in the face of goal. This was when West Ham had 10 men, right? And they were stacking deep. They were trying to restrict Villa and Villa were trying to create. The ball goes between Wesley's legs and Wesley grabs his ankle, falls to the floor, holds his face and his ankle and rolls around after uh, stumbling when he had a scoring chance. Danny, not sure what to make of it, mate. It's a dive. Yep, dive, hundred percent. It was a dive. Um, he should have, he should have done a little bit better though. He really should have tried to get something to it. He clearly doesn't. The ball doesn't quite fall right for him. To be fair, he's being marked quite well. Uh, to be fair to West Ham there, um, but yeah, he's 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 gone down looking for the penalty, and that's not what I want to see this late on in the game. Honestly, it should have been. There's no point. There's no point. Yeah. Should have been but for it, Cole. Oh. Uh... I don't know, like, this is his, what, second or third time this has happened? I know this is at least second that I've seen. Um, so I'd say, yeah, I like, I know South Americans are more known for quote unquote diving to some people more than others. So that does happen. And I guess you kind of know what you're getting in that aspect. But like, look how big you are. Like, come on. Like, I, okay, so this has nothing to do with it, like this at all. But to kind of give some relevancy, I literally had my last soccer game two months ago and in the playoff game and a guy missed an open goal and fell on the, on the ground. No one touched him and pretended that his leg broke because he missed it. 
like it's almost like kind of the same thing like it's almost like you're embarrassed oh oh i'm hurt like i uh, it drives me absolutely insane um but at the same point to bring up his overall performance like I can't blame it all on him. You have to look at the wing options too. Uh, I, I just don't see it working for Hata on the wing. It just, he doesn't seem to have the pace for it. It does work out once in a while, but I'd like to see him kind of in behind Wesley. Um, El Ghazi, he can do the job, but it just doesn't seem like him and Wesley can link up that well. Um, but then we have concerns over Trezeguet as well. I think right now, it's hard to judge Wesley because when he's one-on-one, he doesn't exactly seem to know what to do with it. The hold that play is good, but when he's on the edge of the box, he doesn't really seem to know where to go. So it kind of begs the question, is it time for ultimately Dean Smith to uh, have a little bit change of formation? I think we need a system change. No, system change is a pretty uh, pretty brutal cut to make at this point, don't you think, Danny? No, it's not. Like we 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 have We have three wingers. We have three wingers and Dean Smith seems almost... And again, I I don't want to criticise him. He's a tactical genius, man. The the guy's a tactical genius. But he seems almost scared to to alter positions at the moment. So um, we brought on El Mohamedy, obviously, as a a, a wing option the other other day. It didn't really make much of a difference, did it, going forward? Now, Cotter, if he's not working out on the wing quite so much and we're struggling to really penetrate... Uh, from from the wings and, and we, re- we really really are right whether it's El Ghazi whether it's Hotter maybe the fact that we've got so many midfielders is uh, is a reason why we should perhaps try pushing Greedish a little bit further forward and maybe going with a little bit more of a narrow attack maybe have two central two central midfielders in say McGinn or uh, yeah say McGinn and Nakamba or McGinn and Douglas Louise and maybe say Cotter and Grealish, and then maybe one other one other player, maybe whether that's El Mohamedy, whether that's El Ghazi, whether that's Trezeguet, maybe have Hotter and Grealish sort of switch up through the middle there. I think Hotter needs to needs to be able to cut in, and I think he needs to be able to play behind the striker because Wesley needs some support there. At the moment, we're relying on teams playing a high defensive line, and whenever a team wants to defend, we're struggling to break them down. The only time we've been successful so far this season is when uh, a team is really sort of pushed at us and uh, yeah we, we're not gonna be able to play counter against everybody because um the 10 man west ham <laughs> looked more difficult for us than um uh, than, than than the 11 man west ham and uh, i think part of that was just because the wing has just been so so ineffective at, uh, at driving the team forward isn't that the case though sometimes that when a player gets sent off say there's team a and team b and team b goes down a man, they lose a player due to a red card because of a bad foul or a vicious foul. Isn't it no. then harder to break down a team sometimes because they are they are motivated, they feel that the world is against them, they've lost a player, whether it's fairly or unfairly, and thus they receive motivation from the referee via a red card. That's also why they make mistakes. That's also that's also when when a team is a little bit more open. That's when that's when uh, you kind of uh, that's when you're supposed to be motivated. Whatever motivation West Ham have Villa should be, you know, doubly kind of thinking, right, this is a chance for us to get three points. Let's punish them. And we can't punish at the moment because we get lost every time the every time the ball goes out wide. Because Wesley seems 100 miles away. And that's not his fault. He's waiting for the ball to kind of, uh, he's waiting for the ball to go over the top of the defence so that he can get in behind. But we're not always going to be able to do that. And I, I just feel like we need that extra man, that extra link up between the midfielder and the striker. And I think that's what's missing at the moment. Well, you know what? I think the biggest question is, will he make that change? 
Um, he seems pretty adamant about this formation. Um, I was thinking personally more of like a, how would I calculate this in my head? Like four, one, three, one, one, something like that, where you have uh, like Hata right in behind Wesley to give him a bit more space. You could have Grealish and Hata kind of go back and forth, pushing forward. Uh, it just gives you more flexibility. The other thing I wanted to touch on as well that Danny brought up about uh, when we went down to 10 men. Um, is that like, and I said it earlier, we lost our heads. We were literally, we thought, okay, like how long did we have the 10 men for? I can't remember exactly. Uh, against Palace, it was by half an hour. Half an hour for there. And then if you look at this game against West Ham, it just looked like as the minutes went down, we're literally clock watching too much and panicking going, oh my God, we have an even less time to do this. So that's, it almost, almost looks like that's why we lost our heads. Like, if a great team you look at the top teams in this league if they have their opposition going down to 10 men they're going to play the quick one two and move around and cause open space but it just looked like we ran out of ideas and we're crossing it like and essentially all we had is wesley in the box with like three defenders on him it's not going to do anything and if it does you're darn lucky it does so i don't know it just looked like we're short of ideas things need to be changed and hopefully Dean Smith takes that into consideration. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, John Terry looked a little frustrated yesterday. Is that fair to say? <laughs> oh, he, yeah. he seemed to get onto the, he, he got onto the touchline himself, didn't he? It almost looked like, it almost like Dean Smith had taken a, had taken a step back and John Terry was saying, look, let me try and get in and, and motivate the team. There was a few pan shots that showed that. Dean Smith is very liberal with the his approach to coaching in that he will genuinely allow Richard O'Kelly, Neil Cutler and and John Terry to make their voices known. Because like they though. know they they know what's good in their departments. And John Terry isn't just stuck with the defense and Neil Cutler isn't just stuck with the goalkeepers. It's you know a holistic approach, but he will let them when they have expertise to offer, he will let them offer it instead of kind of acting as that avatar. You know, the manager's always saying what the coaching team thinks. With Villa's coaching team, it's a holistic thing. It's Dean Smith is the head coach and he's got his unit. But that act as that unit and they will break apart when needs be and let that guy kind of come in and give the advice. And you see that so often. You see it with Cutler. You definitely see it with Terry. And we see it with Richard O'Kelly. You saw him against Crew. He was bossing against Crew. So it's not yeah. just Dean Smith barking out the instructions. He's got a team. He he. It's not just a delegation of tasks. It's allowing them to be independent with their actions and thoughts. Yeah, not got a problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, it's not like not- they're overriding Dean Smith. It's that they that they're all of the same mindset, and they're all allowing their approach to kind of help Villa go on to better things. I guess it freshens things up too, if you look at it, because like it's nice to have different voices. There's a time for assistant coaches uh, to be uh, friendlier with the players and be their buddy and put their arm around them and see what's wrong and how their day is. And there's other times that they have to give them stick and make them accountable. And especially if you look at John Terry, we all know John Terry's eventual um, reality is going to be as a full-time manager, wherever that is um, you'd imagine. So there's going to be points where he's going to be standing out more than others. I know there'll be reports thinking that there'll be issues eventually between him and Smith. If that continues, which I, I think again is lazy journalism, but no, like there's, it's a non-issue and I'm glad to see it. I, I don't want to finish this off without, without mentioning this, right? When we're, when we're down against uh, a 10 man West Ham team, why are we waiting till the 85th minute to bring on Keenan Davis? What's going on in, Ke- in, in Dean Smith's, Dean Smith's mind 
to hold that off for so long. It was kind of one of the topics I wanted to bring up, but I feel like we have um, went on about West Ham for quite a while now. But I know I think it's a good point to finish on before we award match balls is the, the substitution thing, because I thought the game demanded a change at a certain point when Masuaku was sent off for a red card. It was a second yellow, whether you believed he should have been sent off or not. He was sent off for a tackle or quote-unquote tackle on Ahmed Al-Mohamedi. Uh, Al-Mohamedi went down, Masuaku went off. Um, that's 10 men for West Ham. And I think the change to bring on Keenan Davis at the very least should have happened right there and then um, to give them Villa that two men up front because they did look better with Davis up there and Wesley up there because they could force the issue with West Ham. It's just that West Ham were very, very good at sitting deep and very good at disrupting us. They weren't going to simply roll over for us. And I think we should have questioned them, questioned their tactics a bit more by changing our own. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that uh, I think that we're sending out a bad message if immediately after um, after they go down to 10 men, we're bringing on... I don't know if this was actually before or after, actually. I think... Uh, give me one sec. Uh, yeah. No, so I don't think it's sending out a, a very good message Message that sort of immediately after sending off Masawaku, we're, we're kind of bringing on Ahmed Al-Mohamedi or, or, or Douglas Louise, basically. Um, yeah, I, I just think that uh, we should have scared them. We should have scared them. And I think uh, by leaving Keenan Davis there until the last minute, we're basically accepting a point. No, I completely agree with that. It's It was way too late. It was almost kind of like he had blind faith and just hoping something would happen. Um, I, I Maybe that's too strong to say, but you have to make your decisions a little bit earlier. And I think that's it's easy to say as a football fan, we're all sitting there watching it. And we're going to say when players are tired, they could see something completely differently. But... Uh, something had to have changed it's just everyone looked dead tired the changes we did make uh, didn't really seem to do much and honestly it's just i think it really comes down to the change in formation like it's shocking that we they were down to 10 men and you look at the stats and they're almost even in every category except for shots we had five to one like you'd thinking we're you at least think we're gonna take a better um grasp of that and just basically bite their heads off and get a goal and we didn't ultimately i guess i don't know it's just annoying <laughs> but yeah it's time to give our match balls um pick a player who impressed you the most cole would you do the honor of going first yeah um i'm going to go with uh big bajorn angles i just love the man um i didn't see a fist pump yesterday so i was a little sad about that um see, seems like i've been ranting and raving about that since uh i can't remember which match that was when he made that block but anyways since then um yeah stellar in defense um gives us so much confidence back there that we just really don't have to worry and yeah i was really impressed with them danny how about you uh, i'm gonna go freddie gilbert i thought defensively and going forward i thought he was probably our brightest player i remember pointing him out to somebody at work whilst i was watching it and just saying look look at um watch watch this guy today see see how good he see how good he is and i think he really showed that he was sort of an elite standard player. I think I think Freddie Gilbert is going to have a bright, 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 bright future. Sorry, excuse me. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was really impressed with him. I'll give it to him. I'll be going for Jack Grealish. I think, again, he put the team on his back. Not a lot of things worked out for him, but he showed the spark, the initiative and the ingenuity to kind of engineer something late on. And, you know, it didn't work for him. But you like to see a player always giving the, or you know that absolute maximum they can give. He collapsed at the uh, final, was sort of absolutely exhausted. Put the team on his back. He's Mister Aston Villa, and for good reason. Jack Grealish gets my match ball, guys. The action isn't over yet. We have returned from the international break. Football continues. We have Arsenal 
on Sunday. Um, the very name makes people shake. Arsenal, top six club, once top four club. Um, Arsene Wenger's left. It's a whole different Arsenal to the one we're used um, to. Can I just point out that, you know, uh, whatever whatever you want to say about Umana Emery, you can't take the mickey out of him too much because he's learning his English through Peaky Blinders. <laughs> that is a disastrous way to learn English, I feel. I don't think it is. I think it's the right way to learn English. It's effectively how I learn English. Just listening to Brummy people. So so I I don't think it's a problem. I wonder it. which character that he learns the most English from. Like is it Arthur? <laughs> is it I, I reckon it's Arthur. <laughs> and can I can I just add as well, right? Can I just add? I wonder if he was there, right? But because this is an Aston Villa podcast, we've got to talk about the city of Birmingham. James, just just I just want to ha- have a quick note. I think it's hilarious that there was basically a Peaky Blinders convention in Birmingham over the weekend, a Peaky Blinders festival. Uh, where people were basically role-playing uh, Peaky Blinders characters. So uh, there is your little bit of Birmingham trivia to all the American fans. Bit of a weird one. Yeah, it was uh, quite, a, quite a big thing. It wasn't just like this kind of hastily organized, put a flat cap on event like so many of them, of them are. It was like a proper, proper celebration, like a Comic-Con. Oh, mate, there was this great moment, though. There was this great moment. I don't know if you've seen the video on Facebook, but, so, but people are acting out this scene. And they're doing it in front of people. It's just cosplayers. And then all of a sudden, these two blokes just just, just walk right through it um, with basically bin men just walking right through there with a big, with a big <laughs> fluorescent bin. <laughs> you just see all these like all these people in 1920 flat caps trying to do this, trying to do this cosplay, trying to do this scene, just kind of look at it and kind of go, you've ruined it. You've ruined it, lads. Good transition to Arsenal um, because they seem to be in uh, one of their eternal crises uh, where Unai Emery is getting blamed for a lot. Um, last time against Watford, they showed their impressive attack. Aubameyang, Lacazette, you know, Chabalos. They've got a lot going on up front. They've got a lot of players who can create that dynamite in midfield and score those chances up front. It's just at the back. The back is a mess. Um, trying to play it. You know how you can take the goal kick really short now? You The rule has been relaxed. You can take a goal kick to a centre-back or another player within the mm-hmm. box. That's fine. You don't have to kick it outside the box. Arsenal, for whatever reason, feel obligated to do that at every <laughs> single opportunity. Of course they do. Um, which means that enterprising teams like Watford will press high, steal the ball, and create chances through through Arsenal, directly through them because of because of what Arsenal are doing. And they are not changing their ways. Um, there's a kind of really rigid, rubbish diamond going on in midfield. Mesut Ozil is doing Mesut Ozil things where, you know, the creation's not happening through him, so he's not going to get involved at all. Um, David Luiz is doing David Luiz things. Socrates is doing Socrates things. So it's, <laughs> it's not brilliant for Arsenal. I, I think that if we play like we did last season, we should be able to get a result here, man. I, you talk about this, you talk about this press. Arsenal, once they're pressed... Yeah, I mean, look, I watched the Watford game as well, James, and you're 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 absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Our Watford just looked like the better team because every time Arsenal started passing the ball around the back, Watford just ran through them like pit bulls. It was just like, no, you're not. You're not gonna. You <laughs> know, you're not. You're not gonna pass the ball around because uh, we're, we're going to take it off you, right? And 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 that was effectively the way to be Arsenal. So the, the way to be Arsenal is just is just showing more energy because they, for whatever reason, as you say, just think that. You can pass it around uh, slowly and try to control the game. Uh, you can't do that against uh, against teams like Watford. Now we need to play like we did last season. We need McGinn pressing hard. We need um, we need Jack Grealish pressing hard. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Tammy Abraham in the team anymore. I'd be tempted 
to start Keenan Davis over Wesley for this exact reason. And I'd also be tempted to maybe go with uh, El Mohamedi uh, in, in midfield as well. I think this is the game where we've got to change a little bit and go maybe 4-1-4-1. Keenan Davis up top. Press the heck out of them. So, Cole, I don't want to do Arsenal too much of a disservice by insulting the way they play, insulting their manager, insulting their players. I want you to pick a player from Arsenal who scares you the most. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> don't say David Luiz because he looks like Sharjah <laughs> Bach. Well, <laughs> they do have the best hairdo. Like him and uh, Guendouzi do have the best hair in the whole league. We have to give them that. Um, quick David Luiz stat before I get positive. Uh, three penalties conceded in 160 Premier League games for Chelsea. Uh, two penalties conceded in four Premier League games for Arsenal. I think that says enough about their partnership at the back. Um, but no, their most deadly player has to be Aubameyang. I think that's going to be almost everyone's choice. Um, seems like he's really the only one offering a lot. Uh, Lacazette's out. Um, Bellerin's out. And I think Kieran Tierney's out as well and still hasn't played for them. So uh, they're missing some crucial players at the back and up front. Um, and like, I kind of want to talk smack about Ozil because he almost looks dried up and I apologize for the dogs. But uh, watch, I'll say something bad about him and he'll probably score. That's just my luck. It's interesting what you say about Aubameyang as well because Lacazette is obviously out now. I, I think Lacazette's a fantastic player and he's a big loss for, for Arsenal. But because of him, Aubameyang's been playing on the left-hand side. Aubameyang playing through the middle against Watford looked good. And I think this is, this is, a, this is the thing that's worrying. Aubameyang through the middle. Uh, that, that is what's going to, that's what's going to trouble Villa. I like, I like Mings. I like Engels. Both fantastic, fantastic for uh, defenders who can, who, who, who can bully uh, forwards. Aubameyang though, just a class above, you know, many of the strikers in the Premier League, probably in the top three. Um, you can make an argument to say he's, he's, he's the best. Uh, I'm not saying he is, but you can make an argument to say he is uh, the best striker in the league. Um, and I think if, if if he can utilize his pace uh, and kind of evade uh, Mings and Engels, then then we could be in serious danger. Uh, so you're right, Cole. I think Aubameyang through the middle is going to be a dangerous thing. For I think we're always kind of going to be in danger when we face a team like Arsenal that has that firepower. But again, you look at the defense and you think there is a battle to be won there. Like as as much as Arsenal are going to threaten sure. us, I think we can threaten their defense. And it's not just our strikers; it's our midfielders like Grealish, McGinn, uh, Nakamba, Louise, or Haran, whichever wants to play. We can threaten them through the middle and on the wings because their defense is locked into a way of playing that, and it will it won't change overnight. So I think a team like Arsenal, as threatening as they are up front, are there for the taking. And if the taking means a point, a point against Arsenal away from home he's a big deal to us i was gonna say that's huge because like if you look at it and this is really depressing our last five games against them we've conceded 16 goals wow Um, (laughs) keep in mind that goes back to 2014 um you know yeah you look at four nil two nil five nil three nil loss and a two one loss i don't think we've beaten them in my mind i don't think we've beaten them since uh we was it two one or two nil in the opening day that uh was it 2013 2013 i think it was yeah yeah yeah, when Tony Moon somehow was playing striker in the last like five <laughs> minutes and scored. Um, <laughs> I still remember, I was saying this to James before that we started recording, is how the hell is he so high up the pitch right now? But anyways, I think that's our last win against them. It's going to be, and Danny's right when he said it at the start when we started talking about Arsenal, like we have to switch formations. You have to respect Aubameyang. You have to respect these players and give them some credit there because I don't think yeah, a 4 for 3 is going to work. It's a case them. of showing total respect to that attack. 
and total disrespect to that defence. We've got to be perfectly balanced there. We've got to be very wary of that threat. And absolutely, we've got to think of that defence like a bunch of mugs. No, absolutely no offence to them, but we have to do them over there. They can't play the way they, against, they did against Watford. They were getting bullied, James, weren't they? Yeah, that, that's a perfect description. They got bullied by a team that had absolutely no right to bully them. And the way that, the reason they got bullied is because they, they brought it onto themselves. Yeah, they did. They did. They, they, were just, they were just softly passing it about. This is an easy game. We're Arsenal. We can pass this about and we can control the game exactly how we want. Well, I'm sorry, not in the Premier League, right? And I think as, as much as they've got fantastic attacking players, you mentioned a few there. Danny Chabelos, by the way, great, great signing from Arsenal. I think he's going to, I think he's going to really sort of set the Premier League alight sort of as, as, as we go ahead. But like midfield wise, if, if McGinn shows his energy, if he's allowed to, and same with, um, same with Grealish. And I think, I think, you know, I, I, there's not a lot of games which I think I think Hurahan should be our or Hauran, sorry should be our defensive midfielder. But maybe if we play Hauran there as well and just go just go straight up energy, I think I think that's the way probably to go against them. I think I don't think there's much of a midfield to be lo- sorry. I don't think there's much of a battle to be lost in that midfield. Honestly, I think people are scared of Arsenal based on their prior reputation. I, I think when you go back and you look for the results, Cole mentioned like the five 0 for example, we were a different team. We had Carlos Hill basically telling players where to pass the ball. Like, that was a different Aston Villa. Like, I'm and this is a very different Arsenal, and a different Aston Villa now. We can turn the tables now. We can reset. We can rebalance history. We can do damage. We can say to the Premier League, we're not just going to be walked over. We don't care what the refs do. We don't care if you're going to score goals. We we will go at you. If you've got a bad defence, if you've got a league defence, we'll punish you for that. And I really hope that's something we can do because a lot of there's a lot of questions about our attack and I want them to resolve something against Arsenal. I want them to prove something so bad. I hear like on talks, but I'm slagging off Wesley. Guy's been here, what, five games? Like, you can't make a judgment on him so early like that. And I want him to prove so many people wrong. And I know you did say bench him. I know you said bench him. That's for a very good reason because Keenan Davis presses players. He does that. He, you know, he's he's bedded into the Aston Villa team. He knows what to do. He can do a job. But I really want Wesley to prove something. And I think against Arsenal, again, it's on Sky Sports. The world will be watching. Arsenal, big club, massive fan base will be following like ours. I want Wesley to step up and do some damage because this is a game for him to do some damage. I just wanted to bring up some stats here. Like this is his perfect opportunity against a big club. If you look at, uh, it says error prone arsenal, um, errors leading the shots, 33 first in the Premier league errors leading the goals, 14 first in the Premier league penalties conceded 10 first in the Premier league shots on target face, 216 fourth uh, goals conceded 59 10th. This is all under um, Unai Emery, of course. So they're there to be got at like uh, for people to be scared. I think that error of Thierry Henry and Burkamp and all those players just pulling us apart. It's not going to be the same. Anyways, Danny continue. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think there is a way for, for both uh, Wesley and Davis to, to get on the pitch. I quite like your idea of a diamond-ish formation we said with the 4-1-3-2. There's definitely a way for that to happen, right? It might, might actually be the best thing to do against Arsenal, Cole. I, I kind of like the... I just I think Wesley just needs someone in behind him. Like, he just looks so... Um, not to put it in a cute and cuddly way, but he looks so lonely. <laughs> um, he needs a cuddle. He needs a Danny cuddle. That's what he needs, actually. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> but uh, how, how dare you? How dare you insinuate what my cuddles would be like? I feel kind of violated. Well, he's a big man. He's saying it was a good thing. It's a good cuddle. <laughs> big, man, big men still need cuddles. They need love, too. Um, I, 
men love men need love too, yeah. Yeah, Danny, how dare you insinuate that Wesley doesn't need one of these? Exactly. Would you still cuddle um, Louise? Like, he got his haircut. Would that turn you off now? Or I feel quite uncomfortable with this. I'm not quite sure what to say. <laughs> I forget where I... I'd cuddle that third kit. <laughs> You'd cuddle that for... Okay, you know what? I completely forgot what we're talking about, <laughs> so just move on. <laughs> Uh, guys, on that note, I think it's time to pick a uh, a match prediction. Uh, it's been hell for us so far, and I think Danny's a coward <laughs> by predicting the results. He Because we're predicting good results for Aston Villa, you're predicting the results that will actually happen. As a matter of interest... I'm here to win. As a matter of interest, I would like executive producer Trevor Hood to tally up our points on what we would have predicted if, if our results were to come true, what Villa's points would be at the end of the season. Because I think my predictions might put us on to like 90 points or something stupid. I think I'd, I think my predictions probably have us going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Coles, Coles will be pretty optimistic somewhere in between, I think. But <laughs> Mid-table, we're just going to be the stoke of the Premier League, basically, with my predictions. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, match prediction time. I'm going to go with a sweet 1-1. One, one. Uh, I'm going... With a two-one win, I wow. Listen, it's just I've got to I've got to go with instinct. And yeah, last week my instinct was a three-one defeat to West Ham. I you were wrong. Your, inst- well your instincts were wrong, weren't my, they? My instincts were wrong. They were wrong, but we still didn't play very well. Okay. Um, this week I'm saying two-one win because I think that against a high defensive line it suits us going forward. I think as long as and I'm and I'm going I'm going on the basis that Dean Smith tells us to press. As long as we do that, as long as we as long as we play well enough, listen, I think there's points to be taken against Arsenal. I think Arsenal are a good team. I think they've got fantastic players. But points to be won. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna give us a two one win. That's fair. Like, oh my gosh. Like, wouldn't it be the most villa thing? Like, we're all bigging them up and it, it's like this is gonna be Arsenal's game where they just play like the best game of the season or something stupid like that. Um, be the most literally the most villa thing. I'm gonna go oh, I feel like I go for too many draws, but I'm gonna go two all. I think that's fair. I think they're gonna score. I think with their leaky defense, we're gonna score. Um, I'll take a draw against Arsenal any day of the week. Well, I reckon that's the end of the podcast. And any final thoughts to wrap up on, Danny, before we uh, close? Final thoughts? I don't think any other news has sort of come out as it since. I think I think um, everybody's just sort of talking about the fallout, aren't they? Um, from from last night. Do you think it's fair? Just just sort of just before we wrap it up, do you think it's fair for people to be sort of rather optimistic so far, or do you think? Um, I think it both ways. Do you think do you think it's fair for people to be optimistic or pessimistic so far this season? I mean, we've got we we've seen this play so far this season. Is there is there is there any sort of like worry that maybe we're not sort of better than than 17 other teams in the Premier League? Personally, I look at expected goals tables, I look at our highlights, I look at the chances we create, I look at the chances we stop. I'm fairly happy with where Aston Villa are. What I'm uncertain about is kind of this romantic idea of where Aston Villa fit in. I mean, you watch Norwich beat Man City, and whether it's an outlier or not, it doesn't matter. You watch teams get their results, you watch their play styles, you hear about them, you read about them, you have a clear picture. I really don't know where Aston Villa fit in. I don't know if they fit in as a 20th team. I don't know if they fit in as the 11th team. I don't know if they fit in as a 17th team. 
I really don't know where Aston Villa stands. So that is my worry. That's that I feel it's not like Aston Villa in an identity crisis or in a period of transition. I just don't know where we fit in in this modern day Premier League after our absence. I have no idea where to judge us. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I guess. I mean, Cole. I mean, how do you how do you feel so far? Are you still fairly confident? Yeah, like it's not negative. Like it's four points. There's teams still below us. I think we're not at the bottom. We're still in it. Um, um, I think I looked at a stat earlier that Crystal Palace have scored less goals goals than us. I think we're on what four? They're on three, if I'm right. Yeah. Fair. Um. Yeah. So it's not all negative. Um. There's work to be done. There's going to be bad moments and good moments. It's just part of the journey. So ultimately, as fans, we have to uh, stop being as fickle, suck it up, and just enjoy the ride. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up though, aside from that is, um, James probably doesn't want me to, but the fantasy league, um, I looked at it, James is doing better. I just want, I looked at this on Sunday and I wanted to message you and say how well you're actually doing compared to before. (laughs) So if we have a moment, let's each say where, what, uh, position we're in, if we're okay with that. I need to check my, cause I, I've been, I've been a bit upset with how badly I've been doing the last few weeks. Well, I remember Danny saying, you have to be above the average because the average is for idiots, basically. So I think I was on, when the average was 28, I was on like 49 points at the time. And I was thinking, I'm onto a good thing here. I finished on 66 points of the week. Um, I let, I chucked at the league tables and people are getting 128. And, you know, I think there's match fixing going on and stuff, to be honest. Um, but 66 points really isn't that bad. I am 287th place, I think, which is a 100 place increase on where I was. Um, before oh, you're the like bottom break. 25 there, buddy. So. <laughs> 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 oh, jeez. Danny, do you remember it all? Yeah, so I think out of about 370 places, uh, I'm not very happy because basically my, my captains have messed up in the last few weeks, which means I've just, I've never had oh, a so you're, you're blaming the captains. You're blaming. No, no, no I, I am. think you blame the manager, I think. I, I'm blaming the captains for like, uh, just, just, just not giving me a good points haul. Okay, in the last so you, few weeks. you can't sack players, but you can sack managers. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get sacked. I don't think there's any real problem with that. I'm still 74th, which is good in the league for the 370, which means I'm, a, I'm about 200 places ahead of you, James. Um, I'm on I'm on fiftieth in fiftieth place. Oh, I have nice. 300 That's points. Impressive. Yeah, uh, fifty eight points this last week. I'm on three hundred, and I am ten points off the top twenty. So everything's looking good. Um, yeah, Cole, this is a, obviously this is seventy five hundred to hold, right? Obviously, it's a it's it's a it's a Villa fan league, right? Um, I'm just looking at your team. Um, <laughs> seems to be one Villa player in there. And he's on the bench, so because I'm not, I'm not stupid. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. To be fair, and I, sorry, I'm not trying to ramble on and make this longer, <laughs> but I'm kind of annoyed that I don't have one of Angles or Mings because honestly, the points wise for them has been very good. Um, I, I just, I don't have much belief fantasy league wise in the whole team. I don't know. It's just I don't like putting players that I cheer for in my team almost because I feel like I'm going to jinx them and I kind of just have to go with players that do well like I like not to diss anybody that's in our league but like I literally see people with like as many uh Villa uh, players as they can I'm thinking like really like you could have picked Pookie and you put Wesley in like I love Wesley but come on like if you want to do well actually (laughs) you might want to change that up 
Yeah, it's also it's also um, non Villa fans who go, oh, why have you got McGinn over Grealish? And it's like, hmm, this is insider knowledge, mate. This is something only Villa fans can can tell you about. But I tell you what, if there was a WSL two fantasy league going on, probably is right. If you chose mainly Villa players, you'd be absolutely be raking in the points. We can't finish the podcast without without uh, talking about the six nil win over Crystal Palace over the weekend, and four wins in four. Gemma Davis, Aston Villa women, wow, they have been something this season. I think the kind of lessons, uh, the style that Davis has tried to impose on the team, I mean, got better over the course of last season. I think they started off quite badly. They definitely started off on the wrong foot against Manchester United. That that team should have not been in the league last season. They were far too good. They're far too well funded to be in the league. Um, but Aston Villa women, they got better as the season went on and they've really started off on the right foot this season. Four wins out of four, if you can believe it. And Mel Johnson has been scoring for fun. Emma Follis has been, uh, you know, she's been so impressive. I think I've seen some highlights that under a gaslit lamp have put up. Uh, Regan Foy been going down to games with a cameraman of all people capturing her footage. And she's just playing for fun out there. And these are new signings as well. So the funding that kind of led by Christian Perslow and the hire of a head of women's football at Aston Villa, it's kind of paying off. This is a really good thing for Aston Villa women team. And so they play on Sundays. Um, so I think there might be a clash for this upcoming match um, because we play Arsenal on Sunday, the men's team. But when Aston Villa men aren't playing, or if you've got nothing else to do, you should be checking out the women's team because you can catch them on the FA player um, when the FA choose to air an Aston Villa game. So you don't necessarily have to go down to, to the games to watch them if they are selected for broadcast on the internet but I, I do recommend it it's such an experience and it's so feel good and yeah and, and fingers crossed I think I think you know if, if, if you do miss out this season in terms of going to games like I think we're going to get promoted I, I like I just I know I know it's very very early on in the season like there's only been four games but scoring goals are fun at the moment I think it's 14 goals in four games or something like that um, let's hope let's hope that they, that they keep it up and best of luck to them but next season we might well be seeing them in the Women's Super League yeah, absolutely. I think um, that'll be a chance for us to increase our coverage and uh, hopefully add maybe another podcast to the slate that can be exclusively for us and Villa women's uh, coverage if we get the chance to, because I know it's quite difficult for many people to follow that football club. Um, but yeah, guys, uh, no better note to end on than there. Um, you can follow Cole at Talk Aston Villa, follow Danny Raza at Raza Jerno, and you can follow me at Jamie Rushton all together at 7500 Tolt and we'll see you directly after the Arsenal game hopefully three points for Aston Villa goodbye and up the Villa <laughs>